You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Dr. Tony Colson, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Wow, your story, I think it's really going to set some people free. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Well, Tony, you lived in fear and OCD for 15 years, and then through a revelation of God's Word, it was completely broken off of your life. I would love for you to share that story. Before we go there, please share a bit of your backstory and how that all manifested in your life, and then what happened as you went through that process of becoming completely free. Definitely. I I grew up in Tennessee, and so I'm from the Knoxville area. And my wife actually is from Sevierville. So we're both from Tennessee. And I grew up, I guess, would be what be considered a normal home. And my mom and my dad were full of love. And there's actually a story. The very backstory was that while my, my mom and dad had, had my sister, who's my older sister, but were unable to continue to have kids, according to the doctors. And so they had prayed and hoped for another child, another son. And Brian, actually, my dad would go to ball games and watch other kids play just vicariously living out this fathering of a son playing ball. And so finally, whenever he come to terms with, I'm just going to make the next step. And they chose to adopt a child at that point. And when they made that decision, my mom got pregnant with me. <laughs> so, Tony, it just blows my mind. I hear this story frequently, don't you? That someone couldn't have children, they decided to adopt, and then they get pregnant. There's, there's something about submission and resolve to the will of the Lord that opens up the will of the Lord, right? Amen. My mom and dad then also adopted my younger brother as well. So, so there's three of us. And... That was the beginning, really, the true backstory, which led to my father then passed away with uh, lymphoma cancer Mm. when I was eight years old. And I made a decision. I still remember making a decision not to cry at the funeral because I was going to be a man. (laughs) And so I was somehow going to step into his role because he had, you know, passed and worst decision, of course, a young boy could ever make. And actually went eight years then without crying. Oh, man. Any kind of good tears. Went from there to when I was 16, and that's when I fully embraced the message of Jesus in my life and accepted Christ, got radically saved. And then the the mentor in my life at that point was a pretty legalistic leader, and it developed in me this, you know, it was a kind of a perfect storm in the sense of a guy that doesn't have a father in his life wanting to please people, wanting to have the affirmation of a father figure, and then also this legalism, and it created this performance-driven mindset. And so from the time I was 16 until probably when I was a junior or so in college, I was able to manage that life and had a lot of success because of the performance-drivenness and celebrated because of it. Mm -hmm. And then I wound up, my wife and I were married. We moved to Europe and lived in Amsterdam and traveled Western Europe for about six months. And during that time, I had a leader that 
taught me how not to be a leader. And so with that, there was also a trick that the enemy put into my mind. I was reading a particular translation at that time, and I'll, I was reading out of Philippians chapter 2. The scripture in Philippians chapter 2 was where Jesus, of course, humbled himself and became like us and came and dwelt in human form and, and ultimately died. And the, the scripture there is saying to take that same attitude. You know, In other words, live life as a servant to others in order to win people to the kingdom. Well, the translation that I was reading used the terminology rather than saying something to the effect of he emptied himself. The translation that I was reading said made himself nothing. And I embraced that, Brian. The enemy twisted that scripture, which is what he does, right? He, mm-hmm. he really has nothing to work with himself. So he has to take what God has and twist it and twisted that concept in my mind to where making myself nothing became my pursuit. And when I made myself nothing, I lost my identity. And that was not God's intention. God doesn't require for us to become nothing to become who he's created us to be. And so that false understanding of the scripture led me down a very dark path because it opened my mind up to ideas and thoughts that were just completely unfounded. And what happened was my mind just got into a cycle. Mm -hmm. And so that was whenever fear and ultimately OCD just began to rage in my life and began to take over my ability to function. It was a very, very dark place. But my wife, she's in counseling psychology. That's what her master was. And she is an amazing person to work with people. And maybe that's why God got me connected because he knew I was going to need one to live (laughs) in with me. She, of course, was able to discern a lot of these things that I was dealing with. One of the things that I was dealing with as far as there's a form of OCD, it's called scrupulosity, and it's a religious OCD. And basically the my a spiritualized dirtiness and so that was one of the aspects that i had it wasn't the only aspect but one of the aspects that i had was this obsessive and compulsive cycle of thoughts negative ideas just just terrible imaginations let me pause there tony what were the key thoughts that led to the ocd the fear that the enemy was using? It really began whenever my performance drivenness began to unravel. So I wasn't able to keep everything tidy. And then whenever I began to lose my identity, the questions about who I was, the questions about what I was capable of, all of those things began to to just become something I couldn't control. And so I began to judge everything, question everything. And that's what led to me with the you know, the actual physical germs. And one day I took 19 showers. I would wash my hands so much that they they stayed cracked and bleed. They would bleed all the time. One of those anxiety moments that I had when I was at the dinner table and, and I bit into a fork and it chipped my tooth. I still have that chip on my tooth today. And it constantly reminds me of what God brought me out of. I found myself in the ER one night with stroke-like symptoms, and it was all stress-related. I wound up getting put on Paxil, which was a antidepressant, and did not realize the side effects that came with Paxil. It's actually a very addictive drug, and 
has side effects of suicidal thoughts. And all of these things were just building upon one another. So I've got this to where it's not just it's not just physical dirtiness, but I'm I'm also dealing with it in my spiritual mind. Like if a thought come in, I couldn't discern between what was real and what was just a thought. Everything was real to me. So I would be confessing things that I did that I didn't do. And so my wife lived in this constant state of protection for me. She was my covering rather than me being her covering. She was the one that was protecting me rather than me protecting her. And so literally my wife, if we were going into an event, for instance, then there was going to be people in there. She would go in before me and scope it out and see what my triggers might be in order to protect me in that setting. Because I would confess things, Brian, that were crazy. And she would say, Tony, you didn't do that. But if it was a thought in my mind, I couldn't make the distinction. It was all real. It's just, you know, it's the same way with like the physical OCD is like, you can't make the distinction, you know, even though you've washed it, you can't make the distinction that it's really clean, because your mind tells you it's dirty, or you're dirty, or whatever it is. And so there's a real disconnect with reality. And that's what fear does, right? False Mm -hmm. evidence that appears real, as they say. And you lose a sense of reality. Really, one of the culminating parts, I'm a pastor, and I was going through all this as a pastor. And my wife found me in my office before I was supposed to go up and preach. And I'm in a fetal position in the floor. And she has to get me together so I can go up and preach. Oh, man. Uh, and I walked out there and got up and preached and then went back into my world of darkness, man. And, and it was 15 years. The problem with mental challenges is most people don't understand it. And they also don't give you the same grace as if you had a physical break mm-hmm. or a physical challenge. So if I was walking around with a broken arm, I would get sympathy because there was a spot in my mind that was broken. There's a stigma to it. There's this judgment against it. And so you feel like you have to live in this world that that is secret because no one's going to understand it. And thankfully, God gave me some key people in my life that showed me grace and that stood with me through the challenges. There's a gentleman named Daryl Bewley. He was my accountability partner for years. And if it wasn't for him and him just being a sounding board for me, I wouldn't have made it. You know, and plus, of course, my wife. Mm-hmm. But those safe people and those safe places that God gives you. And you know, if you're listening right now and you're in that kind of struggle, that bondage, that difficult place, and it is a tormenting place. There's no rest. And I tried everything. I tried prayer and fasting. I tried counseling. I did an anxiety and depression CD course. So it wasn't like I was just giving into it or not attempting to find a way out. I was doing everything that you're supposed to do to get free. Where was the moment where things started to really shift for you after trying all these different ways of overcoming this? And again, I don't discount any of those efforts that I've made. And I think they were all a part of surviving Mm. the journey, as well as just developing the capacity to understand the revelation that God was going to show me. So I believe in prayer and fasting, I believe in counseling, I believe in any of these tools that you can use. I, I believe that there's a place for anxiety medicine, right? But the problem is, is that oftentimes the way that our 
system uses it, it, it gets you trapped on that. So it just basically trades your trap. And that's where I wound up coming cold turkey off of that without telling my wife. And so she, of course, discovered it when I was about to lose my mind because coming off of it is like coming off of a hard drug. And I went cold turkey off of it. The Paxil? The Paxil, correct. So initially what the anxiety medicine did do for me was to cut the edge off of it so that I could process thought a little bit better. But the thing with that is, is it doesn't cure you, right? It only just gives you an edge. And so if you're not continuing to pursue the solutions or to find the answer, if you will, then you could stay stuck in a different trap. And that's what we don't want. We want you to be free. We want you to be able to function in the way that you were created to function in the liberties where which God made you to function. And so with that, there was one particular moment in a counseling session where I, I, I remember getting a breakthrough, if you will. The counselor said something that was startling to me, but it opened my eyes to a different understanding that I'd never had. What did he say? He actually used a profanity in the session. And now remember, I'm like legalistic T here and I'm like doing everything right, trying to, and then he used a profanity and it's the shock factor. He did it for shock factor, but it opened my heart to realize that my religion wasn't setting me free. And yeah, so it was a powerful moment that then took me to another step, right? I was also pursuing my doctorate at this time. And in my personal time of the Lord, he, he brought me to a scripture in John chapter eight, verse 32, which everybody knows. If you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. We memorize that scripture. We quote that scripture, but no one ever tells you what truth is. They just say, when you know it, you, you'll be free. Now we can talk about the big picture of what truth is, But the reality is, is that most people don't understand what truth is, and that's why they stay in bondage. That's why they stay stuck, even though they've memorized the scripture. And even though they can say, I know that the truth, the reality is, is that Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. And so God brought me to that word truth and helped me to look into the the Greek understanding of that. And so that word is aletheia in the Greek. And it is actually a combination, a preposition, and a word. So the ah there is the negation of the rest of the word. So it's a negative word in the Greek. Just like if we have a word like unstoppable, the un negates stoppable. So now it becomes, you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. And so that word aletheia is actually a negation. So ah negates lethia, lethia. And that word there means to disclose and also has some connections to the concept of forgetting. So whenever you look at that and put it together, you could actually read that scripture and say, when you forget who you are, then you'll be free. When you quit covering up the reality, you'll be free. And so it actually can mean the true reality. And the problem is, is most of us are not living out of the true reality. We're living out of a perceived reality. And that's where my world was. Even though I was a person of faith, even though I was a believer, even though I was doing all the right things, I still had a wrong perception of reality. And then what happens is you begin to live out of your perception 
not always the truth. And so that simple thing there began to, to resonate inside of me. And then God put together a couple of other passages that really creates a powerful strategy, a powerful tool to help people break free from this cycle of perceived reality. I'm going to say it like that. And so it's interesting also this concept of lethe, and even in Greek mythology, Brian, there's they have a river called lethe, and it's believed in Greek mythology. I don't follow Greek mythology, but I'm just comparing it because of the dominant concept here, that if people were to to get into the river of Lethe, they would forget everything. So the enemy literally wants you to get to a place that you forget who you really are, because then you begin to act out of who you perceive you are. And that goes back to that trick that he put in my mind in Philippians chapter two, that whenever I lost my identity, you become nothing. And then he's able to replace that with what he wants to add to it. Man, that is so profound. The hard thing is this, is it's so simple, but it's so profound, like you just said, literally I'm free from OCD. I'm not on anxiety message anymore. My mind is the best it's been since college, maybe before, maybe the best it's ever been. My memory, I say all this to brag on God because he took a broken guy and restored me beyond what I was before. And this is what God wants to do. But let me put together these other scriptures so that people can get an understanding for it. So we have John chapter 8, verse 32, which is basically the foundational concept behind the truth. And then there's 1 Peter chapter 1. It says this, remember I'm dealing with part of this with this spiritual OCD. Mm -hmm. And verse 13 says, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 16, since it is written, you will be holy for I am holy. Now, prior to this, I always read that scripture as this real judgmental, hard statement. You be holy because I'm holy, right? It's that mean dad. You do it because I said so. Mm -hmm. Let's reread that. You will be holy because I'm holy, because you're connected to me, Mm -hmm. because of our relationship you have the power to be holy as well. And so it totally reframes the way you read the word. And this is going to be key here in just a few moments as I I share another revelation that God gave me. As we continue on, this is the key scripture that really helped me. So in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, This key principle is having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, I understand humanity is being made up of three parts, the spirit, the soul, and the body. And of course, whenever we accept Christ, the spirit, which was dead, comes to life and now begins to have that connection with God that you didn't have prior. But the soul that you're used to living out of, it takes work. So that's the mind, the will, and the emotions. There's the sanctification. Exactly. And the mind is what you think about things. The will is how you desire things. And the emotions is how you feel about things. That's really where we do life. And that's where it talks about being spirit-led, right? The spirit then is guiding the soul on how to live out life. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is before we accept Christ, then we're totally conditioned with living out according to what the body's interpretation is with the world. And so this soul is not pure. It's conformed, as Paul says, to this world. And then it says in this scripture, purify your soul 
by obedience to the truth. This is literally what broke OCD in my life, this scripture. And the reason is, as I remember it, I was standing in my bathroom and I was standing at the sink, ready to wash my hands again. And this scripture says, obey the truth. Well, the truth is my hands were clean. I just washed them. I didn't need to wash them again. That was the truth. But here's what my mind told me. My mind told me I was dirty. My will, my desire said, you want it. You want to wash your hands. You need to wash your hands. My emotions, I felt, I felt dirty. But in that moment, I said, I'm going to obey the truth. And I walked away from the sink. Come on, man. When I obeyed the truth, it began a process of freeing me. Now, I wish I could say I never had troubles anymore. I never struggled anymore. But what happened was I had to begin to submit my life to the spirit rather than to the soul. And I had to allow my soul to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And as I began to employ that simple, profound truth, now today, I am, I I still have challenges at times, but there's no control over my life. There's no bondage. There's no darkness that I have to go sit in. And that began this process of freeing me and changing my life, which now, I mean, like I said, my capacity, my function is probably better than it was in in some respects before I began the journey. And so let me share just a couple other things to complete this concept. This is in James chapter one. Now check this out. It says verse 21. Remember what the, the truth does? It purifies you, purifies your soul. James chapter one, verse 21 says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word, obey the truth, be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now check that because that's exactly what I was living in. I was living in a deception. I wasn't obeying truth. I was following the brokenness of my soul, the false realities, the false perceptions. Now, verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this is key. This is going to bring us all the way back to John chapter 8, verse 32. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But catch the word. He forgets. What was John 8, 32? Remember not to forget who you are. You can know the truth, but you don't do the truth. Then you immediately forget who you are. And that's why you go back into that cycle, even as a Christian, even as a believer. This could be translated in all kinds of different ways beyond OCD or fear. But the key here is, and this was, this was again, whenever I would read the Bible before, it was always judgmental. I never lived up to it. It was always condemning to me. But what I saw in this is this. It says that whenever you are a hearer of the word, it's like you look intently at your natural face in a mirror. So now I understand that when I read the word and it says things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that I'm a royal priesthood, that I'm a holy nation, that I'm more than a conqueror. That's my natural face. That's who I really am. <laughs> yes. And so whenever I walk away and I live out differently from that, then I'm forgetting who I really am. Oh, say that again. So whenever I look into the scriptures and I see these scriptures that say things like, you're a man of faith, you're pure, you're holy, you are strong, 
you're set apart. And then I'll walk away from that and I go out and live differently. And I'm in essence forgetting who I really am. And this is the key. When you know who you are, then you'll be free. So how does somebody know who they are by staying in the word, correct? That is the truth, right? So your word is truth. Mm -hmm. And it's not based on what you think about it. It's not based on what you desire. And it's not based on what you feel. It's based on what he has declared and decreed over your life. And when you begin to obey that, then you begin to step into your freedom. I love the scriptures about the scripture. You know, the word of God (laughs) is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law, Mm. his word to fail. The scripture about his word is like a hammer that shatters a rock. Yes, exactly. It's exactly right. If we would exalt the word to its proper place, which is above everything, and then when you recognize Jesus is the word, if you exalt Mm. Jesus above everything, you will exalt his word above everything. Isn't that fair, Tony? Right. Now, that's where it finishes in James verse 25. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Listen, he will be blessed in his doing. And so, because God's grace gave me the capacity and I submitted myself to it, and I persevered through this process, it ultimately brought me to the place to where my doing lined up with my being. So, obviously, the key here is just spend time in the Word. And as you said, don't forget it. Correct. Keep meditating on it. Essentially, pray it and find scriptures that apply to the situation and confess them and speak them. We hear people talk about, yeah, you need to confess the Word. And oftentimes we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the truth is, it keeps you from forgetting. And it elevates everything in your life to look at the way you're supposed to be, to look at the way you actually are in God's eyes. Exactly. And and again, you have to combine it with action. Otherwise, you will forget. You can forget even while you're confessing it if you're not acting on it. So what does acting on it look like? Help me understand that. Right. So for me, let's go back to the concept of me standing in front of the sink. The action point for me was the truth was my hands were clean. Even though my mind said they were dirty, even though I've wanted to wash my hands and I felt like I needed to, all three of those things were contradicting the truth that my hands were clean. So me acting, I had to make a decision in that moment where was I going to act on the truth that my hands were clean or was going to act on what I thought, felt, and desired. Mm -hmm. Because I acted on the truth, it began this process of freedom for me. We can also relate that to a temptation in the sense of your soul tells you what you want, how you interpret what you think about it. Uh, You can desire it. You can feel good when you do it, those kinds of things. When we choose to obey the truth, that's when it begins to purify our souls. And ultimately, what happens is that the soul does get, as you said, sanctified. The soul gets transformed and and converted into what the spiritual truth. And Mm -hmm. so now as you grow in this, man, I don't want to get back into washing my hands. I don't want to get back into confessing things that are not true. 
I, I don't want to be laying in my office in a fetal position. I don't want to break down relationships because of the bondage in my mind. That's not what I want, right? But before, I couldn't see beyond the the intensity of the moment and the and the feelings that I had that were so real and so powerful. And and it took these simple steps to obeying the truth. You're not going to want to do it. You're not going to feel like doing it. Your mind's going to tell you that it's crazy. But if you'll persevere in it, the guarantee of the word is, is that you will be blessed in your doing. You will be blessed as you take those steps forward. How can people find out more about you, Tony? Easy way for me is TonyColson.com. And you can reach out to me from that website, or you can send me an email at Tony at TonyColson.com. I'm also on social media, and uh, typically it's at Tony Colson or at Tony L. Colson. So it just depends on the, the platform. Okay. As we finish here, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Definitely. And first of all, I just want you to know that you're not alone. I know that you feel like there's no one else that's going through what you're going through and that there's just no way out and that you just you feel trapped right now. But I want you to understand that there is a path forward and that there is a God that right now knows where you are. Not only does he know where you are, but he's right there with you in that place. And so my prayer for you today is that there would be grace that would activate faith in your mind to be able to take the step into freedom. So, Father, I pray right now for our listeners. I ask that, God, that you would just, first of all, just let your mercy overshadow them. Let the covering of your grace right now just surround them. And, Lord, I pray that they would know and sense that you are proud of them, that, Lord, that you love them, and that, God, that you are for them. And I declare right now where there is fear, where there is shame, where there is regret, where there is bondage, I declare that by your grace and by your anointing, that, Father, that that cycle and that hold would be broken even in this moment. I pray that you would give them the courage to obey truth, whatever that looks like for them, in whatever context that they need to take that step. Father, give them the courage to obey truth, no matter what their mind says, no matter what their desire says, no matter what their feeling says. And I declare that when they know the truth, the truth will make them free and everything that their hands touch will be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tony. Brian, just to, for those that want it, I, I did write a book. and It's got a the story in there as far as uh, a lot of how God brought me through it. And that's called Unlocking Your Divine DNA. And if they would like to get that, it might be a help to them. Perfect. Absolutely. Thanks again, Tony. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.